Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Wait, wait, 10 seconds, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock here in the UK uh, and it is Midweek Motorsport, live from a variety of socially distanced locations. We're on Series 16, Episode 9, up in London is our executive producer Tim Gray and Tim on a packed programme tonight we have... What? Uh, we have all the usual features, uh, including right. uh, news, uh, pointless press release of the week, and a big interview, uh, which this week is with someone who's going to give away what he's going to be driving this year. Um, although we already know that. Because it was announced on Monday. Uh, it's Ferdinand Habsburg, he'll be with us in the second hour. Uh, also. Um, it's uh, considerably after 8 o'clock for the vast majority of our audience. Well, not if you're in the US. Well, yeah, unless they're on the podcast, in which case... Well, it could be any time. could be any time. No. Don't forget, if you want to listen to the podcast or subscribe to the podcast, just search for Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you get a choice of whether you have anything else with your Midweek Motorsport, so can you... Have you, a side you can subscribe to all sorts of things. You can uh, search for On The Grid, subscribe to that. Search for Historic Racing News, subscribe to that. Search for The Simcast, which is really good, uh, and subscribe to that. In fact, they're all really good. Subscribe, subscribe to them all. Uh, is there a, just a one-size-fits-all, I can subscribe to everything that Radio Show Limited does? No. Ah. What about the race podcasts? Yes, there is one for that. What, just for all the races? All the races, and you get some bonuses thrown in, like features and other things. And uh, Michelin Countdown Screen and uh, Michelin Post Race Tech are on those uh, shows that get uh, Countdown Screen and uh, Post Race Techs. Uh, But back to tonight, uh, we've also got Nick Damon and we've got Declan Brennan. Yes, we will have at some stage of the evening. And. Good evening to Paul Markart, who's listening from the ever-progressing racing room. Uh, we have, uh, hello, Alex Brundle, who I know is listening in. EFA's from Matt Ending, who's a meeting with Motorsport UK tonight to help develop new ways of scrutineering in motorsport. I like the sound of that. That sounds like that might be a feature, which you'd be able to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. James Foster, apologies for absence working. Uh, recovery never stops. Looking forward to hearing Team RSL Bathurst and Dane. Uh, that was, uh, I'm sure Nick will feel the need to mention that. Uh, hello to Algar Pro Racing, to Jesse Young, who's listening in the podcast after getting up uh, for the Aston Martin F1 launch. 
Bet you're pleased he did. Uh, Oliver Giles, uh, a highlight of his week, he says, this show. Otter, uh, EFAs, enjoying the podcast on the way to Amsterdam. Uh, Kevin Payne listening live again tonight. Uh, the quality uh, and standard of the content high as ever. Ready and primed for some great chat and debate with the members of the collective on Aspectatainment, that is, by the way. The Colonel, no EFAs tonight. Aston Martin using the Mercedes car livery template. British Tracing Green. Oh, I see what you did there. Very good. Very good. Uh, uh, hello to Dave Olcott as well. Uh, and to, to Brody, still welding his 944. That's a lot of welding, Brody, on that. Maybe he's just doing it really slowly. Yes. With care it's and the fourth precision. Road. It's like the fourth road bridge. When you get to the end, you have to start again. Um, oh, and oh, I should say tonight as well, uh, stay tuned after us. We have a fantastic special show on concussion and the dangers of concussion. Dr. Sasha Blaskovich uh, and Ethan O'Brien joining me for that. Uh, Edmund the first. Uh, is listening in tonight, uh, waiting to hear uh, Declan Brennan, I uh, believe. Uh, oh, hang on. Oliver Giles is now giving me apologies for absence because he's uh, having a virtual family evening uh, tonight. That's great. Right turn, lover. We're virtually uh, his is... family. He listens to us all the time. That's true. Uh, right turn, lover points out, so, Mr Habsburg, how does it feel to have been crowned? Yes, very good. Listening live for the first time since early November. Has anything happened since... Uh, well, if it has, you can go back and listen. Lots has happened. Hello to Folletelieu, who was trying to uh, listen in to us earlier on for when Ferdinand comes on the show. Hopefully tuned uh, in for that. Stephen Gardner listening live for a change. No Wednesday afternoon meetings today. Chris Suku, no AFAs. Creamy mushroom, mushroom stroganoff with a large rusty uh, pottering in the study. Uh, that sounds very also, nice. It does. Blue Fiends. Still from the live Porsche, Porsche listening high from the Porsche workshop. Looking forward to Sebring. Uh, in coming up, mussels and chips from Alexander. Oh, Moule Frites. That also Look sounds very nice. That does sound very good. I haven't had Moule Frites for a very long time. Oh, not since last summer. No, indeed. Uh, no AFAs from Ian McCarthy tonight. Although Carol Brink may be distracted by the first televised Padre Spring Training Baseball game. This evening. It's AFS practice, Carol. Pa- practice. It's just practice. Just practice. Ted the Toyman, no AFAs taking in the Williams stories. F1 driver team predictions. Oh, really, I wouldn't bother. Gufflemon, AFA for him as he's got a scout meeting tonight. I thought it said he was scouting a meeting, funny enough, but no, it is a scout meeting. Uh, Dedrick is listening for the first time in a while. Hope to hear your thoughts on the new Aston. Jordan. Listening live for the first time while grinding out some coursework out in the USA. Serafina, uh, US councils have just got off the call, so I'm tuned in. Jack Martin, hoping for plenty of Formula One news today. Rob Chalmers for the first part of the show. Uh, and to see, uh, he's waiting to see if Elon's 10th shiny green silo flies tonight. And Jill's out of bridge. It is in for at least the first hour. At Spectatainment, I'll keep an eye on that. Paul Drunk is listening as well. Uh, he, with the intention of in uh, going out and uh, listening to us on a run. I'm watching Facebook as well. Shuffle your papers, play the jingle. Here's our top story on Midway Sports. 
All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And on a weekend where there wasn't a lot uh, going on in uh, terms of actual motorsport, a bit of a live and drive casting in the Middle East by the looks of it, uh, we're going to start with the World Rally Championship. Hooray! And uh, the youngest... more like... The youngest ever leader of the World Rally Championship. Is Kalle Rovenpera. He is indeed. Despite Who the fact that he win didn't the win rally. the rally, that went to yes. uh, the... Well, you know why he didn't win, don't you? Go why on. did he not win? Well, because Ben tipped him for the win last oh, week. Oh, of course, yeah. Curse of the Constant Juris, mate. That's no doubt about it. Only 10 stages, but quite I quite enjoyed it. And the darkness stages in the snow were just extraordinary. Unfortunately, BT Sport and their EPG here in the UK, from which obviously you set your your DVR recorder, uh, was a work of fiction at the weekend. And so I didn't get to see all of it, but I caught up with some highlights. They do tend to like a last-minute channel swap. Yes, they did that with Bathurst as well, with the two Repco Australian supercar Races. One I got, one I only got half an hour of. But I, I've, I've seen an awful lot of European women's football this weekend instead. So ask me anything about that. Uh, uh, I may do later I, if we run out of time. Uh, yeah. uh, but this is the Arctic <laughs> Rally Finland. Uh, yes. And uh, in the end, comfortable win for Tanak. Uh, well, he, he did exactly what happened... Um, in the Monty, except it was Sebastian Ogier who completely dominated. Try that uh, again. What's that? Try that again. Try what again? That line. Which line? Oh. Sebastian. Uh, except Sebastian Ogier. Yes. That's, that's yes. better. So the first two rallies have been dominated by a single driver. Um, and Oit was, I don't think, lost the lead. If I'm honest, he didn't. Um, he won the first he, stage. He never lost the lead afterwards. There was um, there was a lot of complaining about road positioning, of course, um, which everybody always does. Um, but you know, if you win the previous rally, you're going to be first on the road, and that's what happens. And uh, when that happens, you have a slight disadvantage. It's a more of a disadvantage in some rallies than others because effectively you're the road sweeper and that is what happened to... Uh, Sebastian Ogier. Thank you. Sebastian Ogier. Although he didn't help himself on Saturday night, one corner away from the end by um, planting his car pretty solidly. Into along a with snow Julian Ingrassia and, mm. and planted the Yaris WRC into a snowdrift. Recovered to 20th, although from memory, and I'm having to do this from memory, I think he got a point on the super special smashing stage at the end. Um, but nothing for two in a bed, obviously. Uh, so, Robin Perra second. And yep. uh, third was Thierry Nerville. Craig Breen was fourth. Well, uh, that, was, uh, that was the tactics uh, of... Hyundai and Andrea Adamo, remember we talked about this last week, how much pressure, he said only a win would do, did get a win, and Ben was explaining how they keep bringing a new driver in, so he gets a better starting position. Craig was as high as second at one stage, 
uh, and had a couple of stages that he wasn't too pleased about, which cost him a podium position. He also uh, needed a gearbox change. Which they did in a rather tardy 15 minutes, which is twice well, as long as it 14, used to take. really. All right, but it's still twice as long as it used to take them to change an Audi gearbox at Le Mans. Mm. So, you know, they've got work to do yet. But much faster than quick fit. <laughs> Who do tyres? Yes. Uh, Elvin Evans, fifth. Uh, steady run for the Welshman. Um, capturing more points. Uh, won a stage on Saturday. In fact, I think he was the first person other than Oit to win a stage. And got decent points in the... It's not called the Super Special, is it? It's called no. the Power Stage. Power Stage. Power Stage at the end. Uh, and uh, sixth, a minute and a half behind, was uh, Japanese uh, rally driver Takamoto Katsuta. Who I uh, have to say, I thought he did very well. It would have been between him and uh, Oliver Solberg for my driver of the rally. Solberg, um, in his first WRC drive, although he's done... Uh, you know, it, people were talking about him like he's never been behind the wheel of a rally car before. He's been pretty decent. He hasn't been behind the wheel of a car like that. And um, uh, I, I thought he did very well. He now stands 10th in the championship um, with that result uh, at the, the weekend. He was a bit hard on his front tyres. Needs to smooth his driving out a little bit and he was running out of front grip towards the end of batches of stages the there was a huge contrast in how the guys were driving on the snow and if you look at somebody like Solberg Elvin Evans looked to be wrestling the car and then you look at Thierry Neuville who literally looked like he was driving to Sainsbury's at 25 miles an hour the the paucity of movement behind the wheel and the relaxation was was very very impressive. Uh, Katsuta's in seventh in the championship, and and as I say, I thought he put a pretty good run together. And we stay with oh, uh, next round of the World Rally Championship is of course in Zagreb in Croatia. That's um, a new tarmac rally. It is. So that's a that's a second new rally on the bounce. It's in April, I think. So uh, got quite a long it's wait quite a, as well. Yeah, yeah. We'll get Ben on to talk about that uh, when that one comes. Around again. Have you ever been to Zagreb? I have never been to that area of the world. I only went place. to Bruno uh, two years ago for the first time. Um, but it uh, is um, very cold in winter. Uh, I need to do more Eastern Europe stuff. Yes, do it. It's lovely. Sometime. Some great, great circuits in Eastern Europe. Slovakia ring is fantastic. When I can drive. Um, possibly lacks elevation. Or enough elevation change for some people, but uh, I like it as a circuit. Uh, uh, staying with uh, rallying, though, we have some sad news uh, on that very subject, John. We're going to bring in Declan Brennan uh, again with us this evening on Midweek Motorsport. Hello, Dex. Hello, John. How are you? I'm all right. Declan, we got a lot of uh, really positive comments about the really sad story of of Fausto, Fausto Cresini's death uh, last week. And uh, interestingly, you and I 
were not not about his death, but about what we said about him. I should say, um, although Fausto would probably have laughed at what I've just said there. Um, the um, oh, and in speaking afterwards, um, you said to me we really should celebrate some of these people before we have to think about them after they've died. And and heavens above, literally this week, Hanu Mikula has died aged seventy eight from cancer. And absolutely would have put Hanu into this category. You can go through all the stats. You can look at what he's done. It tells some of the story, not not all of it. Remarkable to me, first of all, that he only won World, won world Championship, although he was second 172 times in... <laughs> in uh, in consecutive years, I, I think it, it, it was a he was one of the giants of the sport when world rallying was a giant part of motorsport across the world. For particularly for people like you and me, me in the northeast of England, you in Ireland, where there wasn't easily accessible race circuit that had Formula One or or sports cars there rallying was the was the big thing it was and for me growing up and this seems it's funny to have me to even have to explain this uh, but for me growing up uh, and we talked about this off air earlier the difference between uh, rallying and formula one or any of the top tiers of motorsport was non-existent they were equally viewed yeah uh, by by me the same way and by my contemporaries and by the press mm. for example rallying would uh, when autosport was the absolute bible uh, and motorsport news where rallying would feature on the front covers of th- that magazine and that newspaper as much as uh, uh formula one did you know or or uh it was it was a an absolutely it was one of the pillars of, of the sport, and I viewed it when I was younger no differently than I viewed, and the drivers and people involved, I reviewed them viewed them no differently than I did Formula One. So, as you said, so when those drivers and uh, teams came to Ireland, particularly who which had a, a and continues to have a rich rally tradition, mm. it was a, quite the event. And you know, the five day Circuit of Ireland rally that used to take place over Easter would clash with often with the safari rally, but you, you'd get a chunk of the greatest drivers in the world would come and do the circuit of Ireland. So for me, it kind of blew my mind as a kid that the big names would be in Ireland competing, you know, not that far from my house. Yes. Uh, and these are the, the people who I viewed the same way as, as uh, Alan Jones or Nelson PK or, or at the time, or so it was Mikola and Auricola and uh, Marco Allen and uh, Stig Blomqvist and Jimmy McRae and all of these people. And they, and that, so he is part of that group. And so for me, he is uh, an icon and would exists in the same temporal plane as a, as any of the great, uh, sport Derek Bell or mm-hmm. Jackie X or any of those drivers who who were were the 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 pinnacle and mainstays of the sport as I was growing up and I was really beginning to fall in love with it. So so it's kind of it's it's sad, but it's not too sad. Obviously, he, he was it, we didn't lose him young, uh, so he True. he sadly we lost him to cancer, which is which is awful. But uh, but his 
his contribution to the sport is absolutely enormous. And the, the thing when I made my notes, John, we, uh, we could kind of we could review his career. But the thing that where I made my notes at uh, at the end, he straddled multiple eras. Oh yes, he, massively. It's it's like he was he was racing at the top level and winning uh, in the era of Paddy Hopkirk and Rono Altonen and. <sighs> Timo Mackinnon and Roger and Roger Clark. So he was one of the original flying fins when you look yes. at it that way, because a lot, of, yes. a, a lot of people talk about Alton and uh, and and Mackinnon, uh, you know, as as the flying fins. He was there at that time. Yeah, but he arguably he really made his name in the next generation, but, yeah. which which is uh, uh, with Vatnin and uh, and even later on Kankinen and uh, and Aricola and Marco Allen. And yet he then continued to race and he he raced to 90 and rallied to 1993 where he was teammates with Colin McRae and Richard Burns yep. in the Treble, Treble 5 Subaru team. So think about that for a minute. Like he he straddles a his imprint is over rallying for effectively a quarter of a century or more at Correct. the top level. Correct. Uh, and it's it's that's wonderful. And he, he, and, uh, he was also as well. And I remember reading an interview with uh, I think it was John Damport from from Ford, um, who he said that Hanu broke in some ways broke the thought, the conception that people that that Scandinavians couldn't do anything but sprint rallies. Um, it, it probably wasn't really true anyway, but Hanu absolutely brought that into a million pieces. And when you see some of the results he had, even quite early on in bizarre machinery, um, his second ever WRC World Rally uh, win um, was the Moroccan Rally in 1975. His um, uh, co-driver was John Todd. John Tavenport, by the way, was alongside him for the Thousand Lakes Rally, which he won seven times. Seven times, yes. In an seven RS 1600. Times. That was his first victory. He in... didn't win it seven times in an RS 1600, though. That would be mental. No. But uh, he did win it seven no, times. True. That is, that is very <laughs> true. That was 74. 75, he was with, he was with a bloke called John Todd in the yes. Rally de Maroc in a, in a 504. And then, of course, later on, he developed a fabulous, long-standing relationship with Anna Hertz. Um, yes, th- through Ford is... and Mercedes, and and of course he's he's inextricably thought of as literally the flying fin in all of those Audi Quattro photographs, where the thing is actually launched into low Earth orbit. But this is the point that, and again, back to the point where um, he straddled uh, generations. He is inextricably linked with the Ford Motor Company escorts. Yes. And he is inextricably linked with the Audi Quattro. That's a remarkable feat in some respects. Yes, uh, that's a good to, point. To, and, and, by by and, way of Fiat and Toyota and Opel and Cadet. Mercedes! <laughs> <laughs> My favourite is he loses the 1979 World, World Championship, the, effectively the first World Championship, proper World Championship for drivers. He lost it to Bjorn Wildergaard. He lost it by a point. And as I, so I decided to have a quick look through to see how did, where did he lose it? And he probably lost it on the safari rally where Shekhar Mehta bit him, a bit, bit him, beat him. He may have bitten him as well. But uh, Shekhar Mehta bit, bit, beat him by 48 minutes, which, okay, 48 minutes seems like a lot. Not when you've driven 5,000 kilometers of special stages. Well, uh, of course, sorry. and of course that year, the rest of the season, Ford didn't go, or at least, 
he didn't go with Ford to to the the Kenyan Safari Rally that year. He did the rest of the season in an, an escort, I think. Yes. So he did he did it in a Mercedes. Uh, I'll say that again to anybody listening. Four fifty SLC, by the way. <laughs> Look it up, kids. <laughs> And and because they were the only cars in those days, like the 504 and that rally Morocco were talking about, there were the only cars tough enough to be able to take it. I think as well, and you've probably looked this up, I think he was the first non-African to, to win the old East well, African he Safari. Yeah, yeah, he broke he broke that mould in 72. He, but, but in 78, the, the, the irony is in 79... He lost by 48 minutes uh, of uh, penalty minutes, and that probably cost him the 79, the first ever World Drivers' Championship. But he was beaten uh, by, uh, as he said, by Shekhar Mehta, who was uh, racing a factory Datsun, but it was entered by the same dealer group. (laughs) So he was beaten effectively by one of his teammates, which cost him the world title. But that happened so many times. He finished second to his teammate on on three or four occasions in in the championship. 1980, he finished second in the world championship again. That year, he started in Monte Carlo in a Porsche. He did that Sweden and Portugal in the Rothmans (laughs) RS1800. Dave Richards, that would be for Dave Richards. uh, Yep. He did uh, Kenya in the Mercedes again, um, and Argentina, and New Zealand. Uh, he did, And the Ivory Coast. And, and yeah. the Côte d'Ivoire, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in between going back to the, 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 the Rothmans team for Greece, Italy, France, and GBR. And he did Finland in a Toyota Celica 2-litre. So he drove <laughs> four, different, four different manufacturers' cars that year. Once you get into the 80s, it is the Audi. Out of years. Yeah. And, and of course, oh, he man. third, third and first in the championship, 81 to 83. And, and you know, the, the cold numbers don't obviously no. tell you the full story. The full story being that effectively the, they were developing that car on the, on, on the stages for, for, uh, for the first year or, or two. And, and it, it really, and even, uh, even had multiple retirements in 83 when he won the title. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the, and we get to the point where, as he said, he is inextricably linked with uh, every iteration of that car. Oh. He was with them throughout their time uh, through uh, basically them dominating. And I'm going to I'm going to say group. It was a group. Was it a group four car for like two rallies, and then it became a group B car? I might, Ooh. I might be wrong, but I think they they effectively dominated what became Group B. Yeah. Until. Yeah. And I remember that because I was what you said about Ireland was the same for me up in North Yorkshire. If there was going to be any North Yorkshire forests in the World Rally Round in the UK, which was then the RAC Rally, um, then all sorts of people would come and do the Mintex. In, in the in the forests of, of Dolby and, and round about there. And then, of course, we'd see them on the, the RAC normally towards yep. the, the end of the year. And there is still nothing that gets the heart beating like the off-kilter throb of a five-cylinder, a straight five-cylinder Audi Quattro with the big lamp pods. They were one of the first people to do that. You could see it from a mile off, but you could hear it from a mile off. And the wastegate chattering away and twittering away. And and Hanu was always, always, always on it. He was just such a great, great, great guy to watch. And I feel like that's the thing. I'm constantly searching for the reasons as to why 
modern rallying doesn't grip me the same way. And it's partially it's because the whole thing was fresh and new. And I think some of it is is audio. I think some of yeah, it is that it is. the sounds that those cars made, like, uh, not to go sidetrack too much, but the first time I heard a Delta S4 in person <laughs> was amazing because of the, the it sounded like one of those buses, you know, with the uh, when it stops to let me, the, the city buses that have the because that was the uh, the the wastegate opening, yeah, and it and it was supercharged and turbocharged, extraordinary. And you fell in love with just with the whole sensory, the whole thing, the sideways uh, nature of Hanu Mikula, the the fact that he spent half his time in the air, the noise of those quattros, it was just unbelievable. And as you said, they came to your town, yes, and but they were massive stars, they were gods. But and this is the thing that I, I I've I've been mulling over in my head. They were entirely accessible because they were just regular blokes. They didn't look like Formula One drivers. That they weren't they weren't matinee idols. They were just regular, almost middle-aged blokes who did extraordinary things in extraordinary cars. I, I, and- I, I completely agree with that. And they were accessible as well because there was a certain amount of standing around in service parks um, whilst mechanics were fixing cars and fettling cars, as always seemed to be the case. And service parks in those days weren't... I mean, they, they were on the move for things like the RAC. It, it wasn't the, the hub and spoke where you, you you don't move, you moved. Yeah. And you chased, and, and when I was watching, you chased the rally. And yes. you went between stages, and sometimes you'd go to see them at a collecting point or a regroup, um, or a, a on the, if you were lucky, you would see them before it was banned, you would see them getting serviced on a country road somewhere. That, that yes. They'd be in a garage forecourt. You'll have seen that as well. And you, you might have a chance to, to have a, a chat with them. And, and then when I gradually got... Um, more into me motorsport and I was working with motors clubs, Wickham and District Motor Club. I'm looking at you now. This is all your fault. Um, and, and then I got, I was an information officer and had to speak to all the drivers of that era on the on the RAC as it was and Jimmy McCrea and Hanu and all of these guys. And and it was it was mega. They were, they were brilliant taps. I'd forgotten, by the way, the Mazda years with the yes. 323 four-wheel drive, the GTX. Uh, completely forgotten about that. And, and I mean, there's so many stories you could tell about Mikula, but I found this bit of trivia. The only international rally to ever end in a dead heat yes. in, <laughs> involved Hanu Mikula. Yeah, and Russell Brooks. 1978, the Burma International. Total stage times were identical, and Mikula won by being faster. Uh, on the opening on the final, stage. Opening on the stage. opening stage. Yes. Oh, my goodness. My yeah. goodness. And, and Brooksy was a big fan of mine because at various stages, he, he, he raced various cars or rallied various cars. He was a big fan of yours, did you just say? I was a big fan of his, yeah. He was a big <laughs> fan of mine as well. But I bought my Sunbeam because he rallied a Sunbeam Lotus, the Andrews Hate, Hate for Hire car. So that was right That was I, right I, in my wheelhouse. I, I do want to say something about this. And, and the, he won the 78 British Championship again. I had him, yeah. Going to... Going to Going, doing the Mintex around your place, going, going to the Circuit of Ireland for five days over Easter, doing uh, the uh, the Welsh Rally, some of which was on the Apin uh, military oh, range, you know, this fast, sort of thing. And, and yes, and uh, and but we kind of it's easy to sort of think about the how wonderful Group B was, and but the era that preceded it. Look at the say the the, the riders are the riders, the drivers he raced against rallied against in 78 uh, in the British Championship. 
Russell Brooks, Roger Clark, Jimmy McRae, Tony Pond. Tony Pond in a TR7 V8. Marco Allen came to do races, as we as we mentioned. Pentia Ricola. He he battled, Mikola battled Billy Coleman's Lance, checkered flag, oh. Lancey Stratos on now the 1970s. My, Malcolm Wilson as a four-year-old fetus uh, uh, came out on the, on the, uh, on the, uh, the Scottish. And my, Walter Roll did the Burma that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, uh my favorite part about this is because it's the most 70s thing ever. He wins the final round, which is the RAC. So he wins the, the, the World Rally Championship round uh, in an escort. But Ford, of course, was on strike at that stage. So he was in a massively inverted commas private escort. You're not telling me it wasn't factory run, but it was there. Uh, oh, it wasn't factory yes. run. It wasn't factory <laughs> I think I think for me, the thing that's, that's brilliant. The thing that sums it up for me was, if you remember, he won... Those one of those we were talking about long distance events. I was earlier on in 1970. There was a, a rally that went from London to Mexico for the Mexico World Cup, and, right, he, and yes. he won the event. Uh, and uh, with Gunnar Palm, who was his uh, his co driver, 25 years later, those two p- paired up again and and won the rerun. He also did the 2000 rerun of this London to Sydney marathon in a 1968 Thousand Lakes rally winning Escort RS 1600. Oh my goodness. Co-driven then by Yuha uh, is his oldest son. Um, a cross era legend as Declan rightly said. We mourn the loss. Uh, uh, so many great memories of Hanu Mikula who uh, sadly died aged 78 on the 26th of February. Our condolences to his family and, of course, to his many friends around the rallying and motorsport world. Thank you, Dex. Oh, you're welcome. That um, London to Mexico, they actually got footballers to do that as well, didn't they? I remember seeing a film with an ex-footballer who did that rally, and I can't remember who it was now. Maybe Jimmy Greaves. We've. Uh, I've just said Gr- Jimmy Greaves. Did you not hear that? No, I didn't have your fader open. Uh, all right, okay. Jimmy Greaves uh, <laughs> is I, the answer. I closed Declan and closed you at the same time by mistake. Uh, well, okay, that that seems reasonable. Um, uh, uh, already had the tweets on at Specutainment of the uh, the Mercedes. Thank you, Ian McCarthy, for finding. Four-speed automatic, by the way, on that five and a half thousand kilometre, um, after the the safari, not the safari, sorry, the Kenyan rally, uh, for that. Thanks, JJ, for that, Johannes. Uh, uh, hello to everyone who remembers those cars. Do you remember the BBC Two rally special? Says Dave with William Woolard. Mm. Jack Martin. It was a sad day when Hanno passed away, but looking back on his career, he was truly one of the greats. Can't tell you how many videos I've watched of him in a quattro as a kid. It's it's a rite of passage. It really is. It really is. All 37 Lancia. Lancia Delta S2. Oh, and a four-speed automatic on that Mercedes that we were talking about there. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport coming up to 25 minutes before 9 here in the UK a reminder about our special uh, concussion programme tonight really worth listening to our experts tonight I've got some uh, questions to pose to them uh, from my own experience 
as well. And before nine o'clock, we'll be explaining about a special programme next Tuesday. One or two eagle-eyed members of the collective have spotted something new on the uh, on the schedule on Perfect. RS1 mm. at nine o'clock on the ninth. Matthew Hindman, I'm looking at you. And repeated uh, uh, five hours later for those on the East Coast, so it's still at nine o'clock on the ninth. Uh, and then three hours after that for those on the West Coast, yes. so it's still nine o'clock. I'm not sure that one's ninth. in the schedule yet. Okay. Hmm. Uh, where would you like to go to next? Can we introduce Nick Damon? Shall we do it properly? Shall we do well, it? Well, we might. The style? We might not talk Shall about Formula One f- yet. No, don't go there. <laughs> Hello, Nick gonna... Damon. Can you hear me? Ah, Tim. Good evening. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Do you want to get your hooray out of the way now? No, we haven't said we haven't done it in the correct yeah, way. Yeah, it is. And more importantly, if I if I'm going to do it in a Formula One style, which team style am I doing it in? No, that's a very good point. Well, are you doing it in a lunch style or a race style? Let, let's come that's on to that question. a little bit later. Be, before uh, we, before anything else, I need to know how was your bacon? Great. No, very 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 good. I had to make a special trip to get bread because my family eat all the bloody bread. <laughs> there we are. We're going to get some cobs. There was or a, baps or so you and Ash have eaten. Half the no, excellent bit. news. Ash is on a ridiculous health at the moment, so he won't eat. He won't eat big bacon. It's all for me. Excellent. What sort uh, of health he's kick the involves no bacon? Uh, some pr- I don't know. I, it, I don't like know. It's it very, it was very lean. Countries. It's oh. ridiculous. He's 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 gone. Lo- he's gone lockdown. Fad food craze. What can you do? Mm, kids, eh? Who'd have them? Kid, well, he's 24 nearly, isn't he? Well, they grew up so quick. <laughs> they <laughs> do. Yes, it only took a quarter of a century to get there. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Dave Alcock mm. said, thank you for the great uh, in-memoriam of Hannah Mickler. Great memories and information on a fabulous driver's career. Uh, Declan Brennan, he, who isn't with us now, he's, he's oil up, but Declan, I know it's all listening. Uh, moving on, yes. uh, Nick, Nick Damon is with us. What's so, the first story for Nick? Well, it's a few hours since uh, I've heard from Nick. Have you uh, seen anything good on TV this afternoon? This afternoon? No, nothing good no, on TV. No, no well, nothing, what should I have nothing, seen? Nothing good at all. Flying doctors? Uh, I don't know. I... I, I, I I've actually had in between our conversation um, whilst falling asleep um, watching something. I've had an online dance lesson, believe it or not. Have you? Are online you, ballroom dancing lesson. Are you back to that, are you? Oh, we've been doing a couple of those. My, my, my marvellous wife and I have been doing a little bit of online ballroom dancing, yeah. Strictly come Damon. Exactly. Very good. Sorry, are you are you talking about the soporific the soporific um, green based launch program? We we yes. all thought it'd be amusing to watch, and in the end, just saw the uh, the word for a male chicken constantly screaming across in the comments. Yes. Roosters. Well, it was so, it, it was it it was you know it was uh, it was all about it. surely that was uh, that was Lecoq Sportif, was it not? It could be. Let me, let me, let me, uh, let me. What I'll do is I'll, I'll answer this in the style of the presentation. So thank you, Timothy, for um, mentioning me, and thank you, John. Thank you, um, Nick. Thank you, it Nick. Was, it thank was you, John. Great. By the way, it's thank you. An amazing, Tim. cognizant thing to be here. And who's who this talking? question for? Who's this question for? Who, who, yes, <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Oh, gee, I'm honestly, what was the question? Um, uh, it was, uh, it, I don't know. Um, oh, hang on. I, it fair, doesn't matter. I, I, at that I've just realised something that even when I'm trying to be as low energy as possible, I can't be that low energy. 
Let's just hope. Let's just hope their hybrid system has more energy than their presentation did. But um, Tish, thank you very much. Uh, Carl, look nice then. We're talking about the Aston Martin, aren't we? Oh, I thought it was well, a 2002 about... Jaguar. I don't, don't, it's not. It, it, you know exactly what it is. It's, it's a, a mis- hybrid. It's a hybrid of the 2019-2020 Mercedes. As, so as somebody said... 2019 and the back end's 2020, yes? Yes, and with a bit of whatever they've, they've done for the new regs. It's, a tr- um, it's I, tracing green, apparently. But, it, but in fairness, you know, it, I think in fairness, given the fact that the real Aston Martin is obviously very closely linked to AMG... Um, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? I suppose it's, it, it makes more sense for them to be mostly the Mercedes than it did when it was Racing Point. <laughs> AMG obviously stands for Aston Martin Garages, doesn't it? As in MG Aston with Martin Morris green Garages, <laughs> Aston Martin Greenhouse. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, good. I mean it's um, it was it, it, I don't know. I mean, you, you, yeah, the, the launches have been um, since we last met. We've had all well, we've had Red Bull launched a car they wouldn't show us anything was, and then took pictures of the old car. That was Ferrari bizarre. launched their team, but not their car. Um, Mercedes launched their car, wouldn't say anything, but, but about the back or the tokens. And Alpine did quite a colourful launch, but without Fernando Alonso, which was the only thing we were interested in. But fair enough, he's still recovering from his broken jaw. And we had the world's worst stand-ups and, uh, from Aston Martin, which is unforgivable because it wasn't even live. Um, and then they I forgot to edit it, out the, uh, the mysterious... Yeah. The only person I thought was actually—I thought Seb came over quite well. That to be honest, though he had to wear a hat, of course, didn't he? He wore the hat so people wouldn't do the bald gags on him. And Lance Stroll had his had his big bouffant hair, which is quite nice. But honestly, um, yeah, launch season's been a bit rubbish, to be honest. How many hats? Um, do you not do you not yearn yes. for the day when Jamiroquai, the Spice Girls, or the or the cast from Starlight yeah. Express, yeah. or? Or, or some avant-garde dance troupe with with grinding equipment to and showers of sparks everywhere. We're we're at the yes. launches. Yes, John, you know me. I'm cubic dollars testing every week, Nick. I'm not. I'm not cost cap, Nick. I realise that cost cap has given us Ferrari and hypercar, but I'm, that's still, it's still not all I want to see. I want to see spend as much as you can. But you know, so um, yeah. So this was more akin Bull... to Amsterdam warehouse than a glitzy launch. I was at that one. I know you were. I was very disappointed. I, 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 I went to a very low-key launch for Williams. It was still way higher key than that was. That was just... I mean, people. But I can answer a question that came up on the um, on the scroll, which wasn't anything to do with male chickens, it's in that why on earth was Tom Brady there? It says Tom Brady's one of the four worldwide ambassadors for Aston Martin. Mm. Who are the other three? Uh, I you can ask. It's Serena Williams. Good. Rio Ferdinand. Right. And I think the other one is the guy we both know. Didn't Rio Ferdinand used to be an Audi ambassador? Very short period of time. He's an Aston Martin one now. Martin Brundle is one, isn't he? He's not a worldwide ambassador. Ah. So who's the other person that we both know? Mark. Mark who? Well, you, you, you don't know his name because he, he's the guy. He's the fixer. He's ah. the guy. He's the guy who brings the sword into Brunei over to Gaden. Ah, and that sort I of, see. He's, he's the financial worldwide man. <laughs> so apparently, and, uh, yeah. Right, OK. Uh, I'm told, by the way, uh, thank you, um, Johannes, for this. Um, AMG, um, Aston Martin Gesellschaft. 
<laughs> AMG, very good. We make British right. autos, very good. It's very good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, are we, are we going to talk generally about launches? Do you want to talk specifically about Aston Martin? Oh, no, I don't not. really want to talk it's about launches at all anymore. Well, I do. I, well, when do we start thing, testing? One thing I do want to point out on, to um, just about the um, concept that everyone's going to be so much better than, than they were and it's all going to close up again. I don't want to be a purveyor of um, uh, doom, but one of the interesting things was is that Mercedes has been working very hard on their engine and they've changed <laughs> a couple of things in it. And and what, what you have to remember is is that Mercedes have got had the best engine, and but they, they designed an engine to run in all sorts of modes. So they've now had a year to design an engine to run in one mode. And if anyone doesn't think they're going to do a better job than anyone else, uh, they're mad. Well, you know what I'm going to say in our uh, preview show, don't you? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Who's going to win the championship? Mercedes-Benz and Lewis Hamilton. Well, unless unless the magic back end from the Red Bull is super magic um, and Honda have found you know, 30 horsepower and reliability. So there's three ands to get Red Bull up there. Uh, John, you mentioned testing. So let's uh, talk about some people who have done some sort of testing. Uh, Notably, Esteban Ocon, who has been uh, testing Formula 1 Co on the Cheadle Bypass today, apparently. I see. What, Alpine on the the bypass? I I saw a story saying uh, Ocon gets first taste of A521. <laughs> hey, hey, that, that joke—that joke's spreading now, isn't it? That's You've, just that's, that, that, that's that's leaping around Twitter. The Twitter sphere now. The A five two one guy. Someone else did it uh, yesterday, and I was very upset that they didn't credit me. Well, you uh, did it first, Tim. We I'm did it plagiarism. It's a plagiarism. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. I mean, they've all been driving. I think, I think Mercedes had a shakedown uh, today. Aston Martin got a shakedown tomorrow. So Silverstone made a few a few rental charges in the past week. Anyway, oh, okay. so that's good. Yeah. Stuart, um, but yeah, um, yeah, testing of course is next weekend, isn't it? Uh, 10 days' time, sorry, not next weekend, 10 days' time. And once we've done testing, we're going to have a special guest that Nick knows about, but I don't I think do. it's rather does exciting, know. actually. Yeah, who's very excited about coming on. Excellent. Can I give a clue? Yes, no. but no. do it in a Eunice Dubs, Lionel Blair type of way. Oh, very good. I'm doing it now. Yeah, very good. Excellent. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> moving that joke on. literally will not work with anyone who's not English <laughs> and over the age of 40. Indeed. <laughs> uh, I know our core audience, Nick. I've seen the stats. Declan's, Declan's laughing a lot, I'm sure. He's over he's 40. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Porsche is considering entering Formula 1. What as an as an engine manufacturer? As an engine as a team. manufacturer, yes, not as a team. That would make, in fairness, that would make sense. Yes. Well, I don't see. I mean, there's there's going to be there is a, a vacuum. They are supposed to be the 2025 rules now, of course, for a new engine that's been pulled forward a year. They are supposed to be less complicated, so it's probably going to be a single hybrid unit rather than the combined hybrid units. Um, there is. I I kind of think that. And then this is this is a bit heretical about. I I think we should just ditch the whole concept of hybrids, and just do it for, and, and make them green by making it, doing the uh, recyclable fuel. 
And that's so what Porsche want they'd too. Have, they'd have a that's zero. What, that's exactly yeah, what Porsche wanted to. They'd have a zero zero carbon emissions. It doesn't matter. And the the advantage of dumping the hybrids is a you can get, you can get as much power as you like out the engines. If you're burning more fuel, it doesn't matter if it's green. And also, you can lose all that ridiculous weight the cars have got. And you don't have to have child labour digging out the cobalt and the lithium for oh, your yes, batteries. That's not, that is the point. I mean, it's, it is actually significantly more ecologically sound to not have batteries. But let's not go in one of those great kind of, uh, you know, uh, worldwide uh, conundrums, isn't it, really? But, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we I, – do you know what I think we should have? I think we should have – this is a great – I think we should have a 3-litre V8. Oh, I like that. A 3-litre V8. And do you know what? Under knock three yourself litres. out. Under three, three litres. Right, two nine nine eight. Yeah. Knock yourself out. No turbo. Do what you can get. Unlimited revs, but it's still got to last for seven, six or seven races, so you can't go crazy. Seven hundred, eight hundred horsepower, and you're going to lose at least a hundred kilograms, probably more, by d- ditching all the hybrid. Plus, that would be a great engine for the back of an LMDH or a hypercar project. Well, there we go. That's that's. Let's try and get, let's get back to let's get back to Sean Todd's original idea from all those years ago. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. But it won't happen because they'll they'll insist in some form of hybridisation because they want it relevant. But I don't see the relevant surely is the fact that it's carbon neutral or even carbon positive. That can be a case. Well, hybrids are only going to be. Um, anywhere near relevant for another five to seven years. I'd, I'd say and ten, it, but yeah, you're right. Um, and H- then hybrids after were that, stepping stone, and uh, and we're we're very much on that stepping stone now. And and then it's everybody in old ICE cars who can't afford the high price of a full EV. Yeah, but then we also have a every, let's, well, we can go down this route, but let's be really honest about this. There is not enough. Uh, raw materials to make the batteries and there's no charging infrastructure and there won't be in nine years either when, when it's 2030 for the UK I don't know why we're all sticking our head in the sand I don't know why people aren't saying I'm not sure what the Emperor's new clothes about this whole thing I'm not anti-electric I'm not anti-alternative oh, I, want, a, I you, want an electric car but let's why, why have we walked away from hydrogen which can use the filling station environment anyway it's not motorsport that's just that's well but i don't understand it i really don't but motorsport should be t- what i do agree with you nick right aside from uh, this is uh, you know uh, this sounds like a political discussion it really isn't but motorsport's job here is to innovate to have compressed time skills for development and to prove technology that's what motorsport mm-hmm. has always done that's what that's what any kind of sport has done it has it has had people with brains the size of planets it has allowed those people in rule sets to either refine something to an nth 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 degree um nth to the nth power degree um because you have a very proscribed set of rules or you open the rules up and say have at it guys and i still say what uh, Paul Lord Drayson was talking about years ago when we were talking about it with him about having an amount of energy for a race weekend, whether it's an endurance week, race weekend, whether it's a Formula One weekend, whether it's a rally weekend, whatever. And you, you have an amount of energy and what you can regen, what you can have from your solar panels on your roof. Um, the amount of energy is what you need to do. And what you should get is credits from where that energy comes from. And if if you are using a carbon-neutral fuel, then you can have more of it, more mm. of the energy. 
trust me, if you told people that that was going to happen, if you told Formula One that that was happening in five years' time, they'd have it solved in four. They'd have it solved in 18 months, and then they start moaning about it. <laughs> hmm. uh, as we've uh, no, I, I, I moved can't away from... I mean, I just, Sorry, testing, yeah, testing, 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 testing. Testing. As we kind of moved away from motorsport completely, uh, I would just mention there's obviously the Geneva Motor Show has been happening uh, this week behind closed doors with no one seeing any cars at all. Uh, because Were there any cars in. actually there? Uh, we don't know. We can't see. Um, but on Monday they did announce that this year's car of the year was Toyota Yaris. Uh, yes, which... 25 years after the original Toyota um, Yaris was a... the ECOTI, is it? European Car of the Year. Uh, it just says Car of the Year. Mm. That's the one, the one that Porsche 928 won all those years ago. The only it is European Car, car of the Year. Of the year. Yes, you're right. Yes, because that's the car. That's when it went through about 15 years when it was so political that Fiat won because for some reason the Italians have more votes. Mm. Well, the Fiat 500 came second this year and the uh, Cooper Formula The E500. No, just the 500. No, just the 500. Cooper Formentor really? was uh, third, and the Volkswagen uh, ID3 was fourth. The other five. The Formentor was third, yes. was it? Yes. That's Only one point uh, behind the Fiat 500 in the jury vote. Uh, it got 239 votes compared to 240 for the Fiat 500. The Yaris won with 266. Other finalists were the Skoda Octavia, the Land Rover Defender, and the Citroen C4. Very good. Mm. I'm I'm particularly pleased that Land Rover have kept the utilitarian basis of the Defender with their new 110,000 pound 500 horsepower version. 507 horsepower. That mm. somebody tweeted, which I thought was great. One side of the uh, GLR press office, we're going all electric by 2025 and 2030. The other side going, nah, let's just have a big V8. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure how on. that's how they're going to sell. Uh, no, let's carry on. Sorry, Gerben's too long. This is not yeah. that sport. No. Uh, what might uh, VAG do if Porsche doesn't enter Formula One as an engine manufacturer? Enter them. Enter as a chassis manufacturer. Uh, no, enter as Audi as a uh, engine manufacturer. Really? Yeah, but Ooh. they won't do both. It's an either or, and. Uh, it's, it's very interesting what? that VAG are getting, having said we're moving out of motorsport as brands, uh, are moving back into back motorsport in, yeah, as yeah, brands. Massively quickly, yeah. Is that I think, interesting? I think, well, I think, they, I think they decided they'd enough Mia Kalpa, uh, and as it's still called the Volkswagen emissions scandal, they just thought, fine, we'll just dump Volkswagen, the rest of us are fine. <laughs> yes, very much. Very much indeed. Uh, just to prove we're live, 1-1, one, 1-0 one, one, and 0-0. Nil, nil. All in fairness, the first That's two still are... still quite low, isn't it? Hello? Are you still there, John? Have we lost John? We appear to have lost John. Uh, well, while I try and uh, get John back, I can tell you that tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, it's another edition of the Simcast. And this week, uh, Matt... And Jordan will be uh, uh, presenting the show, and they'll be talking about uh, British GT's new esports program, plus new content from R Factor Two, uh, iRacing season two predictions, plus the esports roundups uh, with eNASCAR and the Porsche Super Cup. That's all uh, on the Simcast 
tomorrow at eight o'clock. And then at nine o'clock tomorrow, we have uh, On the Grid uh, and uh, Tony Shebeki back after his uh, knee operation, I think it was, that uh, kept him away for the last couple of weeks. Now, next Tuesday, we have a special programme coming up, which some of you have uh, already spotted in the schedule. And this uh, is a little promo to tell you all about it. Tuesday, the 9th of March, is Tom K. Tuesday on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Using the backdrop of a new biography of Tom Christensen called Mr. Le Mans, Tom talked to me about his early years and the relationships that have been so important to him throughout his career. About that very special first visit to the Le Mans 24 hours. From my very first Le Mans in 97 with uh, Stefan Johansson and, and Michele Alboreto, I couldn't wish for any better to, to start my, my first when I came as a youngster and they were of course experienced uh, Formula One uh, drivers and, and, and joining them. And particularly Michele, who knew the car best and the, the, and, and was very much the going forward with, with that. I, I learned so much um, during that week. But the way that they gave me the support to say that they love being with me, that's something I will never forget from them. And in many ways, Michele, the true gentleman in that, is, 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 is something I, I, I cannot speak enough about. We find out which of the nine victories Tom remembers most fondly. When you go personally into how you happy you were with your driving, how happy you were with the, in terms of the feedback, in terms of setting up the car, in many ways, I, I definitely believe it is very easily with a team, the my teammates, to pick that one as the the, the best win ever. Tom, in his own words, describing the 24 hours of Le Mans. It's like you're never done talking about the race, which can be seen, felt and experienced in wildly different ways. I enjoy listening to spectators' experience of the races I've driven in. They usually get something out of it that I haven't. These conversations most often reveal that we experience the race differently while imbibing the same atmosphere, smelling the same motor oil and having a wonderful time. That's why the race gets to the very soul of those who are there. I see 2,000 things from my car that others just don't see. Conversely, the people surrounding the track and in the pit have totally different views. And together, it makes Le Mans 24 Hours a collective adventure where anything can happen. Tuesday, the 9th of March, 9pm UK, 9pm Eastern, 9pm Pacific. All the nines for the man who has won Le Mans nine times. Mr Le Mans, Tom Christensen on Tom Care Tuesday, only on RS1. And that sounds like a fantastic show next Tuesday. Uh, Any more you can tell us about it, John? tell you that is just short of an hour and Tom was in fine form and we'll uh, we've already been talking about that book if you haven't got it yet it is absolutely superb uh, it's on the Everett publishing site 
And uh, as you heard from there, we'll be tackling a range of subjects. Actually, the one thing I didn't mention in that promo was uh, there's a, a bit of a thread of Formula One that runs all the way through Tom Christensen's story. So there's quite a bit of Formula One in there, which I, I think one or two people might not have have realised. Um, well, we ex- did talk before uh, when uh, Gary Watkins was with us about uh, Formula 3000, obviously, which he very nearly won. Mm. Yes. Um, uh, should have won, really. Uh, there's a bit of chat about that as well. Can't uh, re- can't recommend the the book highly enough. It's called Mr. Lamont, uh, Tom Christensen, Dan Phillipson, among others, uh, helping Tom to write that book. Coming up to nine o'clock, we've been on air for just on an hour. Yes. And Have we got Nick yet back yet? No, no. Okay. Do we want to do still to come then? Let's do that. Okay. Uh, let's do that then. Uh, and that involves opening that fader and pressing this button. Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Right, coming up in hour two of the show tonight. More of your tweets at Specutainment, please. A lot of people are remembering the propaganda track. Uh, the. Uh, the one without Claudia Brookins' vocals. Um, yes, I have the 12-inch of that on vinyl somewhere, used in the rally programmes down through the years. Uh, we will have Nick back with some more news on two and four wheels, uh, and we will start the second hour with a champion who was crowned very early on in this season. Uh, we've got uh, Franco Colapinto in the second hour, but we'll kick it off with the Asian Le Mans Series champion Ferdinand Habsburg is next. Motorsport on RadioLeMans.com. Well, delighted to say that joining us now on Midweek Motorsport is Ferdinand von Habsburg. Ferdinand, thank you for joining us on the show. Do we find you fit and well this evening? Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. I've been uh, hiking in the mountains and uh, getting my fitness in there for uh, an exciting season. <laughs> Got quite a lot to talk to you about on that. But first of all, congratulations on your uh, recent Asian Le Mans Series championship win. Two wins, a second, and crucially, a fourth, which gave you the, the championship in, a, in an unusual championship run uh, over eight days and four races in uh, in the UAE. Uh, first of all, congrats, as I say, for that. But how do you approach that? Because that's not how we normally go racing, is it? Uh, no, I mean, we all expected it to be a bit different this year, I suppose. Uh, I, I, I've, I spoke with my um, old friend Harrison Newey when I was getting the chance to do it, and he's won Asian Le Mans before as well. And he was telling me about how much fun he had when he went there and he was racing in uh, all the different places in Thailand and all that. And uh, now that it was just in the UAE, um, seemed to work very well for our situation. But of course, I did miss having the chance maybe going to race in Thailand or, or any of those sort of um, southeastern uh, Asian countries. But in the, all, in the end, I was very happy. And I think the tracks in the end are quite cool, especially Abu Dhabi has got this amazing lighting system. And you keep on driving into the night uh, and you get that sort of 
beautiful sunset picture as you exit out of turn 14. It's like a pretty, a pretty special place. Very different from uh, at Dubai, where there's virtually no lighting at all. So you are actually constrained by the setup of the lights on the prototype. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I actually hadn't quite learned because each of the prototype teams have different button setups. And I learned how the button works in the Daytona car with high class racing, because obviously there you drive in the night in the 24 hour race. And I got to Asian Lemon and we had a, a, a very late practice session and we hadn't anticipated the darkness of it. And at one point it got so dark, I was like, okay, I need the lights. And I, they told me I need to double press this button and I kept on pressing it. It just wasn't working. And it just felt like I was driving in complete darkness. But uh, it came in handy because one of the races ended up to be quite late as well. And I was doing the last stint. So in the end, nothing bad. But at the same time, you you normally would like to see something. It kind of felt a little bit like racing at Spa in the, in the GT3 car where it gets really dark. Uh, as I said, congratulations on the championship. Um, that's great. You've got a championship on your CV for the team. It's even better. They get uh, a Le Mans invitation uh, as well. Um is that your first endurance championship? Yeah. And, and I mean, you're not, no, no stranger to endurance racing, as you said, with, with GTs. I've seen you, was it 2018 when you were with Jackie Chan at yeah. uh, Daytona and, of course, High yeah. Class again this year? Yeah, exactly. I, I uh, did my first ever uh, contact with sports cars in 2018, when I got invited by Jota, well, Jackie Chan Racing at the time. Uh, and, uh, well, I, I fully, fully fell in love with it. It was one of the best race weekends of my life. And when, again, like uh, after last season, I got the call, if I want to go and do Daytona, I was like, thank God, I'm like desperate to go back. It's so amazing. And then off to do Asian Le Mans series. Obviously, Daytona started off a bit rough with a failed gearbox in the first hour, which was it's it's that's really the hard part of sports car racing is all yes. about effort and work and it can just be over like that and it you've got a whole race in front of you uh, but, you, uh, uh yeah and you've got to keep motivating yourself as well yeah. and that that's the thing uh ninth i think at daytona this year fifth on your debut uh back in 2018 i've now looked it up so i should have done that beforehand really uh <laughs> shouldn't shouldn't i so some experience of prototype racing but not not as much possibly as you would have liked going into the Asian Le Mans series, but with so many races and practice sessions and qualifying in, in so little time, did that actually help you in terms of getting you and your mindset where it needed to be? 100%. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I was lucky in a way that DTM cars are quite similar to LMP2 cars, just in the amount of downforce, the power. Uh, all of that is very similar. It's a completely different structured vehicle, obviously. Uh, and also the whole uh, format of it uh, being a prototype and sharing the car with different drivers makes a lot of difference. But still, um, in on certain elements, the speed is kind of similar. So um, that didn't take too much. What was then more tricky to get used to was the exact specific driving style needed. The approach of like understanding like... My, the first race I did in Asian Le Mans series in Dubai, I got in the car with a lap lead. And it's just like something that's never happened to me my whole life. Before. Like I've had to fight my ass off to ever get a lead. And now I'm getting in with a whole lap ahead of everyone. I was like, my mind was completely shot. I was like, what am I, what am I supposed to do now? I don't even know 
like it can only go backwards from here but in the end it was then a like a, a really good lesson understanding okay man drive at 90 no mistakes bring it home and i did and i just enjoyed myself is that hard though because ultimately your background up until fairly recently it's been single seaters uh, and everybody if they haven't go and look it up will remember Macau round the outside into the final corner into the barriers struggled home in in fourth position uh, that is you know there's no pacing yourself in single seaters you go for every yeah. maneuver it's 25 30 40 minute race uh, yeah. in, getting in in your first competitive outing for this team in this championship and you you've got a lap lead and you you told on the radio, I'm sure, no risks. Just take it easy. How do you yeah. know? How do you know where that pace is? No, no. I mean, it's not difficult. Let's say that it's like that's the sort of enjoyable bit where you're just relaxing. But it, it, for me, what was difficult was trying to understand what what exactly how to prepare my mind because my whole career, like you say, my mind preparation has been right, man fully flat out everything you've got same in dtm it's a one hour race you've got to push every corner and i love that like i absolutely love that about racing it's this feeling of like the next hour of your life is as intense as it can be and uh i i really enjoy that whole preparation process of getting in and then it's explosive and suddenly the mind process i spent i had the basically two and a half hours of watching us grow this lead of a lap <laughs> And then I'm like, what am, what, what am I going to do with my mind now? It's like a completely different uh, set of uh, like waters, it felt like cold waters in a way. But in the end, we won the race. It was a good learning experience. And it was all about not taking risk. And mm. uh, in the end, actually, I, I did make mistakes in that first stint because I, I had my focus had dropped because of my aggression level was low. Yes. So I actually did make mistakes, which made my heart stop. And I was like, okay, man. There is an element you need to keep pushing because it keeps your focus level high, but not too much. You know, it's it's it's, a, it's everybody's experienced that for sure at some point whenever you're driven a racing car. You mentioned how difficult it is racing with other people. You have some experience of that now. A, a word about Rene Binder and Yifei Yi, who shared the the G Drive car with you in the Asian Le Mans series. You guys seem to build very quickly, build a, a good working relationship. Oh, I mean. I've got to put my hat off to Rene because uh, he started all the races. He was the guy who had the highest risk, let's say, in each of those four races. And he just absolutely nailed it every single time. Like if anybody did a perfect job, for me, it was Rene. Because uh, in the end, Yuffie and I, yeah, there were some races where we had to battle and fight for, you know, like when we finished second in the first race in Abu Dhabi, we really fought to try to get back into the lead. Uh, and in the third race, it was a struggle with the pace and trying to get back on the podium. But those first few races in Dubai, I mean, they couldn't have asked for a better teammate. No mistakes, just absolutely nailed it. Uh, uh, he's just, I mean, he's Austrian as well. So uh, I got i got somebody to speak my German with, which was uh, Mick Kump. <laughs> I've, I've just realised yeah. something as well, actually, as, I, as I've pulled something up on the computer here. You were driving car... 26 and I, i'm not certain that people know this but you normally race 62 don't you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally it's uh, quite funny I, I seem to have this coincidence where it keeps on working out uh, uh good great job well done 
um, it seems like you enjoyed it. I can hear from the the excitement in your voice that you enjoyed it. And and this appears then uh, with recent news that we're hearing not to have been a one-off for you in endurance sports car racing. You're going to continue to do that this season. What can you tell us? Well, uh, yeah, it's going to be an exciting season because uh, things have fallen into place as I had hoped. Um, and uh, obviously, the, I wanted to uh, try and race in, in the World Endurance Championship this year. After coming out of DTM, you kind of set your 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 goals high uh, in in anywhere you want to go after leaving DTM. So I was like, WEC would be a, an amazing place to start. And I was so happy that uh, the news came out that I'm going to be uh, getting the opportunity to race in the uh, WRT entry because uh, I know the team. I know what they're investing. Uh, they've got a, an amazing guy already in it, uh, in, in the name of Robin Freins, uh, one of the most respected drivers out there. Mo- a lot of people considered as like the best driver outside of F1. Um, and uh, the young French uh, silver driver, Charles Malacy, which has just had, I think, the fastest average in Le Mans last year of the, of the silver drivers uh, from this year. And... Um, just shown really good pace. I met him in Daytona. He's a really nice guy. And um, we've had our first meetings already to get ready for the season. And it's, it's, it's going to be a really uh, exciting program uh, entering it with the WRT. I, I, I'll, I'll ask you a, a, a question in a moment about where you see your, your future. Voss on Voss, smashing guy, runs a great operation uh, at, at WRT. Um We've seen those guys over many years and, and spoken to them over many years. Great operation, as I as I say. Inextricably linked with Audi, as in the recent past uh, have you been. And with how sports car racing is going, it seems a very sensible thing for WRT and for drivers like yourselves to get some prototypes, some LMP2 experience, because the next time we see Audis at the sharp end of an endurance racing field, they'll be racing with a, with a, a chassis based on an LMP2 car. Are you looking that far ahead, or does this just be a happy coincidence? Um, I, I, I don't think... I mean, yeah... It, it, of course, well, as soon as Audi announced they're leaving Formula E to uh, come back to Le Mans, uh, and hearing that WRT was thinking about entering into WEC, I was like, okay, I've got to ring the bells. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to try and push and, and ask Vincent to uh, ask if he'll have me in his car. Um, and I'm very happy to have had a good season with him last year. We built a great friendship. And uh, obviously, I'd, I'd, uh, we called the phone often enough uh, for him to get annoyed enough to be like, all right, fine. <laughs> You can drive. And I was like, thank God. Um, uh, and uh, there was uh, certainly a grueling couple of weeks. But uh, anyways, uh, looking forward, yes, of course, that's uh, one of the reasons why you want to go there. But just wanting to go to Le Mans uh, in my career is on the list. Um, uh, I think having the opportunity to call yourself a world champion one day, it's like I, and that, that opportunity exists going in with such a great team. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all we've got to do is just kind of nail it and we've got the opportunity to be world champions. That's something which is just an amazing thought. And uh, I love love sticking to my old team, WRT, just because of the, the good relationship we've had. 
Does this, the Audi thing is a bonus. The Audi thing's a bonus. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, does Does this mean your single seater aspirations are, if if not gone now, at least put to one side for a little while? Because you did a fairly classic run up the single seater ladder. Yeah, I I I, I love single seaters, and uh, I still stay in contact with my friends that are still there from when I was racing in a three in Carlin and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think I've, uh, uh, I've been bitten by the bug and, uh, I'm enjoying, enjoying racing in, uh, in, in this style with bigger teams, uh, more drivers. And let's also be honest, uh, a, a, a better opportunity at getting a factory seat. Um, that's like obviously one of the sort of top goals that any driver wants. And this is kind of the place to be if, if that's what you want. And you will have uh, endeared yourself to all of our listeners by by saying that it is a bug. I call it an illness. Le Mans in particular is an illness. Round about March or April, you start getting itchy and, and wondering, can June not come around quick enough or September or whenever it might be uh, in these weird times. So you're going to start off the season down at the uh, Portimao Autodrome of the Algarve. Uh, sports cars around there, I've seen, I've commentated on them around there. It's a fantastic circuit. You must be looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't actually know Portimao too well, uh, but you're going to love I it. Do, I, do, I do look forward to it. I, in general, I was actually, deep down, I really wanted to go to Sebring. I've never been there. Uh, and I was very gutted to hear that that's been cancelled just because I think that that's a classic and uh, I, I hope to go there one day. Uh, but just like, uh, personally, I've always been a fan of American tracks like Laguna Seca and, and Sebring. I've just always been on my my list, let's say. Um, but uh, I hope that uh, work will go back next year uh, once everything's better in, in that direction. But looking forward to Porto Mayo for sure, um, especially after a good start to the season, your confidence is high. Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? It's all about momentum and there's so much in our sport, in most uh, elite sports, it's as much in the mind as in anything else. You've got the big moors, the Americans say, the momentum going forward. You also, however, are going to have a target on your back, all of you, because of the association with WRT, such a such a good team. And there's nowhere to hide in that LMP2 pack. That That's a very, very competitive field in the WAC this year. Yeah, to be honest, on that side, I I feel like I've learned enough as a person or as like me, Ferdinand, that uh, I like to separate myself enough. Like, I like to just enjoy myself, you know, like I like to smile. I like to laugh. And uh, when people stop playing, I don't know, games or politics or or like putting pressure in different places, I like to walk away and be like, I, I'm just here because I uh, like. 12 years ago, when I started go-karting, uh, I dreamt of Formula One. I dreamt of Le Mans. I dreamt of uh, all these different things. I played video games. I love that kind of stuff. And now I'm I'm racing cars. I'm 23, and I'm in some one of the coolest championships in the world. Going to be racing in the coolest race in the world. And I'm like, all that stuff with Target on the back. I like my my heart is stuck in in one place, and I feel like it's in a good place with that. So. I don't really think about that too much. Good for you. 
Uh, pass on our best to Von Sant and the rest of, of the team when you get to see them again. Uh, many congratulations for a brilliant start to 2021. The uh, Asian Le Mans Series champion, Ferdinand von Habsburg, who's been joining us here on Midweek Motorsport. Thanks very much, Ferdinand. Thank you very much. And we'll have uh, more uh, from an Asian Le Mans Series driver later on in the programme when we talk to... Uh, the Rookie of the Year from this year's uh, championship. Franco. Franco, Franco Colapinto. Uh, now, is Nick Damon still with us? I am. Excellent. Let's continue with some Formula One news as we... Hooray! Hooray. Oh, <laughs> you beat me to it. Uh, and a new job for Daniel Kriat. Yes, he's a test and reserve driver for Alpine. Is he? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Don't the... forget that year out he had when he was fired by Toro Rosso when they picked up um, Hartley, Brendan Hartley, then and then obviously fired Brendan Hartley and picked him back up again. He was doing he was doing simulated work for Ferrari. He was. So uh, no, I, I wondered whether he might go back to Ferrari actually, but Alpine is obviously a more enticing uh, prospect with the possibility that uh, Fernando Alonso may not recover in time for the start of the season. Well, he says he's fine. He's going to be fine. So the yeah. preparations are no problem. Not sure I believe him. He's broken his jaw, and that sounds quite uncomfortable sounds at best. very painful, doesn't it? And broken two teeth as well, so it's a bit of a smack. Broken uh, jaws. Anything to do with your jaws. I know I've mm. said this before when it happened, but I had a dislocated jaw, um, and it's still not quite right. And it's still... P- and put, taking a helmet on and off is really painful sometimes. Mm. Mm. In fact, it's aching now with me just, just, thinking, just thinking about, about it. it. Absolutely. <laughs> right, let's move on to this. The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Formula One has a new official toast. Did you say toast? My friends Ken and Peter might have an opportunity here. No, not that sort of toast. This is about champagne. Although the French won't let us call it that, it has to be sparkling wine. Nick Damon. Well, I, I, I can take credit for the first part, not the second part. Um, yes, they, 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 there's no more champagne. So Bob's going to need a new, a new, uh, a new catchphrase, isn't he? Because mm. um, it's not champagne, more they're doing a sparkling wine, which is... Ferrari something it's called Ferrari I think no relation Ferrari so Ferrari will be on every step of the podium every race this year which is the news that Tifosi wanted to hear but not the way they wanted to deliver yeah um, what version of wine is it then well, it's like a method champenoise. It's like a carver or a you know. You can't even say method champenoise now any, anymore. No, I know, I know that was. That. I'm just so out of date. But yes, it's basically they put the bubbles in the same way, and it's a white wine. But you can't call it champagne, but even though it tastes a lot of them taste as good and a quarter of the price. But you know, in in fairness, the stuff that comes from the top of the Loire, the Cremant, Cremant mm-hmm. du Loire, is very very good uh, indeed. Um, and, and I. In some respects, so what's Bob going to say then? Well, uh, that's why I was asking because if it was, you know, he could say Chardonnay. If you know, but it's not though, is it? It's was it was it officially called Ferrari? What is it called? Is it? It's a. It is an Italian wine, though, is it? It is Italian, yes. What's it? What's its official title? I have no Just idea. Just Ferrari Toast or something. Uh... Did somebody say toast? <laughs> Again, we've done that. <laughs> 
Trentadoc. Sparkling wine. So, and now the Trentador. No, it's, it's 100% Chardonnay. I thought it would be. So we can say Chardonnay. So champagne has been asked, asked from, asked from Formula 1. Chardonnay, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah, well. Apart from the Arab rounds, which will still have uh, rose water. What does he say for that? He says champagne. Celebrations. Nice no, celebrations. Celebrations, uh, that's what he says. Well, that's what he'll have to say. Mm. It's a Trento. This is Bob Constantinus, the... Uh, PA, he's, he's a lot more than the PA announcer. He does all that, he, but he does the um, the, uh, the PA ceremonies. Thank you, excellent way of putting it. The Ferrari Winery was founded in 1902 by Giuliano uh, uh, Ferrari in Trento, and is it's Italy's leading luxury sparkling wine. The Lunelli family have been running it since 1952, and keeping Giulio Ferrari's dream alive without compromising on quality. Alive. It's interesting actually because when you when you hear Ferrari, you always assume obviously, oh, it's the passion, it's the power, it's everything else. When I was about uh, 25, I got a new job. My manager was a man called Julian Ferrari, who I thought was going to be dynamic and wow and punchy. Put it this way, he was asked to be live with us here. He was Aston Martin launch. Uh, that's Rossi. what he was. Rossi. Yes. Uh, so Nick and uh, Declan, are we going to have a new series of tail enders here? Well, I'm sorry, but I, as I as I discussed very openly uh, on Twitter, <laughs> um, there was a there was an episode written based around. Um, I, I said it was actually a lot further than I thought. It was actually based around the whole uh, rich energy stuff. But we can go back and do that again now that now that he keeps pretending he's gone to uh, he's he's relaunching his rich energy that is brand. Because it, 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 it did work perfectly because because Pete Windsor had done a, a puff piece with uh, William Story. <laughs> he had not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Peter, how does he get how does he get dragged in to that really? So. Uh, just to, to be clear, this is Italian sparkling wine. Yes. Uh-huh. We no longer spray champagne. Correct. Uh, and and if you would like some, by the way, in the UK, Trento Brut, Ferrari Trento Brut, uh, is about 20 quid. What? Perle is about 30. Maximum Brut is about 25. Reserva Lunelli is about 44 and their most expensive is the Giulio Ferrari Reserva de Fondatore which is 112 pounds. Why would you pay that? It's a you can get yourself a really nice car for 7 quid. This is the this is the uh, a, a trend unfortunately because Prosecco is now uh, uh, the sparkling embodiment of choice in MotoGP is it not? Yeah. And, so, uh, and of the uh, young ladies that uh, hang around town centres. Not at the moment, mate. <laughs> and that's only about eight quid a bottle as well. The only young ladies hanging well. around town centres aren't interested in a drink, I can tell you. But I, I just find the whole thing... It's to, it For the sake of a sponsor, they would, they would happily destroy one of the bedrock traditions of motorsport. It just seems absolutely insane to me. And, so, and I suppose I should be saying the same thing about MotoGP for going to Prosecco, because that's not champagne either. No. Do you remember what happened when uh, Merwin Chandon uh, decided not to renew their contract uh, to provide the champagne for Formula One, Nick? No, I don't. I, I, whenever you say Merwin Chandon, I just think of the lyrics to a Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Cole song, guys. Uh, so, really? I always think of Killer Queen. No, I always think of the, uh, and this may be, this may or may not be uh, Nina Simone's writer, but it, it apparently it said, 
No moe, no showe, no shandon, no bandon. Well, Eve, so, uh, I'm sure Eve will have worked with... Uh, with Nina Simone. With Nina so Simone. So we'll have to find out. Yes. But... But is what 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 replaced Moe uh, a Chandon? I don't remember. I should know. Well, but... Formula One continued to put Moe Chandon champagne on the uh, podium, but were buying it rather than getting it supplied for free. Well, why could the, uh, how much they had, could they, they had something else for a while? They did well, go to Mum uh, after that. Yeah. Well, so so hang on though. If if they've now not got champagne, it means that not only has Formula One lost champagne, it's lost carbon as well. So it's a massive rule change. Because that was the last champagne sponsor, wasn't it? Mm. What's going next? Wheels, I think. <laughs> wheels. There'll be no wheels in Formula One. There'll be iPads, like we predicted in, a, in an episode of Tailenders going way back. Mm. Oh, I meant, I actually meant wheels on the car, but yeah, okay, no steering no, wheels, no, even no, better. No, 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 that's, no. Yeah, if you remember Nick Worth's involved. Nick Worth had decided to replace the tyres with iPads. Excellent. Yeah, it's, it's hip and trendy. <laughs> Very good. You guys need to get back on that again. Can we, really Declan? Can we have a... Well, I'm, uh... Okay, I'm going to have to find the time, but prob- the problem is I'm not only going to have to find the time, we're going to have to find software because that those lovely people... Oh, no, are... no. It's far better now because the, the animation software is there, but we can now do our own accents. No, really? Excellent. Oh, yeah. oh hang on, hang on. News breaking on the uh, on the show chat here. Um, Eve, in her previous rock and pop life, did um, uh, did work with Nina Simone, but she hasn't told oh. us any details of the rider. No. <laughs> However, she's got a, she's got a story about the uh, yes. the promoter, but we probably won't repeat that now. Do you think the word can't tell any you can't tell any of Eve's stories yeah. about promoters? Oh yeah. No. Well. But when I was a when I was a child, and now that we've established that the listenership demographic is quite old, mm-hmm. so when I was what? young, uh, Autosport had a weekly competition where you had to guess. Oh God, it was it was for total propeller heads. You had to guess. Within a thousand of a second, the, the fastest lap of the Grand Prix, yes. and the winner got a bottle of Moe Chandon. It was called the Moe GP competition, and they ran it, it every every week before a Grand Prix. Let me just, before we do anything else, um, Right Turn Lover, first association when I read the F1 announcement, was a piece of toast with... Um, <laughs> With, with butter on it, and he's tweeted that. Thank you, RTL. Chris Siku, how fabulous was Ferdinand von Habsburg? What a balanced, great, and enthusiastic representative for our sport. Thanks for a, a great interview. Hadn't heard him speak before. Uh, really enjoyed the interview with Ferdinand, says Dave, an easygoing gentleman, ferociously competitive driver. Uh, fascinating. He, he had he felt he had to push 100% to, to avoid relaxing and making errors. Is relaxing more difficult than pushing hard? Uh, in some respects, it really is. Ask yes. Ayrton Senna. I'll tell you what, it depends mm. what you're doing. Well, stop. <laughs> Stop that. Ian McCarthy says, I love hearing uh, from the drivers and I love that. I love hearing that uh, uh, emotion and excitement. So important for the sport. Uh, what else have we got? Simon Hoff saying, not understanding the term carbon neutral. Just getting rid of the carbon bottles. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. Very good indeed. Uh, and... Uh, that's what we've got so far. So, at Spectatainment for the last half an hour 
of the show. Have you got any more uh, toast news? Or, or... I don't, know. Jean yeah. Toast? Well, <laughs> Franz Toast is obviously uh, <laughs> going to be very disappointed that he's no longer the only official toast in Formula One. Hey, but do you think Lewis Hamilton will know about the wine more than you knew about Franz Toast? We have a problem, of course, is that they now can't have an official toast because it gets very confusing. You mean T-O-A-S-T? So yes. Horvus, Horvus have been done out. Mighty White have been done out. Well, of they've a done themselves out of, yeah, they've done themselves out of a category. They should have been faster. <laughs> I can't help feeling that they're that, that, that realistically being international sport, they're fine because they're going to have the international baguette. You know, the international panini. The nat- the, the, They've already uh, had Bertie Baguette, obviously. Yeah, they had the official ciabatta of F1. It's fine. They, 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 yeah, they haven't got to necessarily heat up in slices. And they, they don't go to India anymore, so they don't need uh, an official nan. Unless, <laughs> unless, unless that's their grandmother. And then Thank it gets very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> an official old lady in Formula One. Yes, your nan. <laughs> oh, dear me. Damn me. Who they have to shout at? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he won another champ. Yes, yes, yes. Hamilton, the, the lovely fella. Another title. Yes. <laughs> yes, man. I was just saying. I said. Anyway. Uh, it seems to be turning into an episode of Father Ted. <laughs> and let's be honest, wouldn't we all like that to happen? True that enough. That would be a great thing. I'd, so, I'd spec you, Tim. Go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. <laughs> Not so anyway, so uh, no, no official bread uh, because they've they've unfortunately due to nomenclature of their official uh, licenses have given that to a sparkling wine company and it's all getting very confusing. Uh, Would you I... have a cup of sparkling wine, <laughs> Father? <laughs> I... No, stop, stop, stop right now. Stop I'm going right to leave now. now I'm, you've I'm just I'm just reading pop- on Twitter that Matt Bishop. Um, has just tweeted that Gemma Arterton isn't just a great MC, she's a very lovely person. Well, one out of two, Matt, is not too bad. Because <laughs> if you think she's a great MC, <laughs> there's something sadly wrong with your judgment, mate. That was the biggest car crash of all time. <laughs> but never mind. Uh, oh, dear me. That Let's move to put, Germany. That's put more spin on it than a figure skating championships in Eastern Europe. Uh, Thank you, Dex. Oh, you're welcome. I'll go back to listening now. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go to where? Germany. Ah, right. If only we could. Well, we can. Well, oh, can we? Excellent. Yeah. You can't (laughs) come back. Young blood. If only I could. If I remember right. It was one hit wonder. Well, sort of. And funny enough, I've got a feeling he was uh, of American German extraction because he was the son of a German of an American uh, forces uh, family that was uh, that was based in Germany. Anyway, that's, you know, so let's go to Germany. He was born you. in San Antonio. Oh, was he? Okay. Mm. Oh, maybe I was wrong. I think you're thinking of someone else. I, and I think I know who you're thinking of, but I can't think of their name. Okay, but I moving think... on. Uh, Michelin is the exclusive DTM tyre partner for 2021. Oh, really? Yes. So that's a GT3 tyre partner, you mean? Yeah. Ah, yes, of course, of course, of course, of course, because we we have GT3 cars in DTM, so it makes sense for somebody who always already does GT3 tyres. But the previous tyre supplier had made GT3 tyres. Which was Hankook, tires. wasn't it? It was Hankook. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we, well, I've, I've raced on their tyres. I've mm. raced on their GT3 tyres, actually. 
so yeah, you got Pirelli doing um and indeed, the SRO stuff. when uh, when uh, Hankook got the contract to supply tires for the DTM, they actually to develop those tires got a former DTM champion to drive a DTM car, uh, sorry, a GT3 car around a certain circuit in Portugal for a lot. Doesn't hide how friendly it normally is. It wasn't, no. Mm. <laughs> Him not have being a DTM champion. Uh, drivers were using Michelin tyres for the first time at the DTM official test at the Hockenheim ring on the 7th and 8th of April I don't see the point of it Uh, it's a a stopgap Nick because they're going to go to um, a different formula in a couple of years time and what different formula is that? electric are they? Okay. I think Aren't they? Well, it makes sense. I Did don't I make know. that up? I mean, you may have done, but I mean, yeah, I, okay. I mean, obviously, I understand why they've gone GT3, but given the propensity for GT3 championships, um, I'm not sure what they're trying to well, do. Well, but interestingly, um, isn't it Valkenhorst have jumped over into no, no, they've it? Got lots, they've got lots of entries. Oh, let, not... Let's talk about all the teams who are abandoning GT3 to go and race yeah. in DTM. Shall we start with Haupt Racing Team? Yeah. Uh, Hubert Haupt, of course, raced uh, in the DTM as a driver many years ago. Haupt Racing Team are quite new, aren't they? Because they, yes. they started doing. They were. They had their first run at Creventing in Dubai, didn't they? Mm-hmm. With um, Berks. But of course, they've uh, stolen all the stuff from Black Falcon. Yes. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, so last year, Haupt did um, NLS and uh, GT World Challenge Europe in uh, a Mercedes and they're taking these Mercedes to the DTM this year mm. of course it was Fair on enough. the podium at uh, the Dubai 24 hours they were yeah mm-hmm. absolutely uh, let's move on to Rover Racing next yeah with uh, M6s the BMW M6s these are GT3 cars again uh, and again this is a team that uh, has been doing uh, Stefan Rattel based GT racing victory at the Spa 24 hours mm-hmm. uh, also uh, NLS uh, winner multiply and uh, Nürburgring 24 hour winner uh, in but the are past. these things in addition to the existing no. program of NLS and and, uh, and uh, I, I believe they're all doing Blanc NLS Pan. still but, SRO um, sorry but yeah the uh, they're leaving the SRO series by the looks of it uh, and then there's uh, Valkenhorst, who you already mentioned. Yeah. So how many entries do they actually have for DT at the moment? And then there's AF Corsa. Of course oh, yeah. there is. Which have got... No, because they're running... Um, Red Bull. The two Red Bulls, they're running... Antoro, uh, Alex, and... uh, Alex uh, Alba when they can. Yes. When he's got a free weekend. And uh, Liam Lawson. Mm. Uh Jensen Rocket Racing we talked about before, and well, uh, they're t- they're taking on Jensen Rocket Racing are taking on the McLaren Young Driver Program, aren't they? Are they? Yes. Yeah. Or did I make that up as well? I hadn't heard that, but maybe I had heard it and it was embargoed. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and finally, Grupa M is another new entrant for the DTM this year. So they're going to have plenty of entries, and the good news is that. Uh, the, the good news for the manufacturers is they're not paying for them all, mm. which is what they were in DTM. So, and the good all... news for Germany is it hasn't really 
done what people feared and uh, destroyed the ADAC GT3 championship because it's stolen teams from um, GT Challenge Europe rather than from the ADAC series. Hmm. Okay. Is it the only single driver GT3 championship? Ooh, that's a good question. Hmm, that is a good question. Answers on aspect attainment, I think. Just a postulation there. Yes. Yeah, you may be right. I can't think of another one. There's probably something obscure that we... Zimbabwean GT3. Mm. Moving on. Uh, did I want to say anything else about DTM while we were there? Um, Gerhard Berger, very <laughs> excited because he keeps his €3 million Euros a year job. Aston Martin could be on the DTM grid this year. Uh, Maybe a, a customer car because there's no works cars. Uh, the Racing One team is uh, talking about entering its uh, Vantage GT3. Right. Okay. Um, but uh, they are also talking to Ferrari, so they could have a Ferrari four eight eight GT Evo, uh, uh, which uh, they already race in the uh, twenty four hour series. Of course. Are there any restrictions on how many of each car can be in there, Tim? In DTM, are you aware of that? I, no. I haven't seen that. But we've got five different manufacturers so far. Yeah, I know. So Audi, and BMW, Mercedes, Mercedes, McLaren, McLaren and Ferrari. Ferrari. No Porsches. And possibly Aston Martin. No Porsches, no. No Porsches as far as I'm aware. Although we have some Porsche news in a moment. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> you had to think there, didn't you? Uh, I I was wondering whether to do that next or do uh, a story about the Nevergreen 24 Hours. Well, there's... there's portion news in that as well so well there is and we did some portion news uh for the n24 last year so i think we'll last start week. last yes. week yes well, yeah. I mean, we, we might have done some last year i think we almost certainly did yes absolutely uh but last week we covered uh porsche uh and kcmg wasn't it this uh mm. doing the nevergreen 24 hours and announced their plans last wednesday uh this week uh we have an argentinian tc2000 <laughs> car entering the Nürburgring 24 I hours. saw this uh, with one Arbarakello as possibly one of the drivers. Have you seen this, Nick? No. This is a Toyota, Tim, isn't it? I'm, I'm surprised Nick hasn't seen this. I know he follows Argentinian touring cars really closely with his Temoto Bar yeah, Association. I am just a little bit surprised that they, that, that they can get these uh, 45-minute cars the last 24 hours, especially around the Nürburgring. Uh, well, WTC, uh, WTCR cars do, don't they? Yeah, yeah I know. It's, um... But as you point out, they're not exactly the same sort of... Um, they're not the same type of cars. It, listen, the more the merrier. You know, the, the best news that we've had, um, whilst Tim's on German news, is that, <laughs> um, is that NLS... Uh, rounds one and two have been confirmed. Uh, there will be no spectators, not even out in the forest, but we will be apparently going back to the standard pit lane. So no, uh, so no uh, um, 
COVID pit lane. Yeah, I think we did that towards the end of last year anyway, didn't we? What? Was the last couple of rounds of... No. Did they not? No, they're they're still... I know uh, certainly the GT3 cars got back into the garages rather than going on the big loop around the paddock. I don't think they did. Yes, they did. Oh, did they? Yes. Okay. I Uh, produced all of those races last year, so... Okay. I'm quite familiar with them. Well, no COVID... No COVID... Um, carousel round the back of the pits and back into the pit lane for the normal um, melee which <laughs> will mean pit lane issues no doubt um, so we will be covering those of course with the uh, exclusive English language uh, broadcast in sound and vision on the dates supplied um, we're waiting I'm gonna. Can I run a quick story into that? Yes. Team, we're um, Nurburgring 24, of which we were speaking. Uh, we've got Nick Tandy going back to Porsche there to drive for Porsche alongside Earl Bamber. Uh, did I again? Did I uh, imagine that? No, I think I didn't. Um, <laughs> so Nick has been given clearance from GM to go and drive there. That, of course, is still early June, which currently clashes with both Detroit um, for IMSA and the Le Mans test date. However, two French newspapers today picking up on the stories that we've been talking about for a wee while, about Le Mans being moved. We're expecting and we've been reporting a decision and an announcement made by the ACO. Uh, The local newspaper in the Sartre region um, uh, was uh, ran a headline, Why Not in August? Well, most of France is on holiday in August, and I'm not sure that that will happen. However, uh, the date of the 21st and the 22nd of April was mentioned in that. The April? Fr- uh, sorry, August. August um, was mentioned for that. 21st, 22nd of August was mentioned in that, as it was in L'Equipe, which is the daily French sports newspaper. And... They had more information, and this was something we were speculating on, Nick, wasn't it, a couple of weeks ago, about, you know, what would Le Mans do? Would they put it back till August or September? What would ACO do? And, yep. and would or would they not have spectators? Well, now it seems we found what the break-even um, point was um, for the ACO, because they are saying they need a minimum of 50,000 spectators at Le Mans. Um, right. Otherwise, it can't go ahead. They do not want to do another one behind closed doors, it would appear. Um, so then it, uh, uh, they need 50,000 or it won't happen. Um, unless the French government are prepared to pitch in and underwrite it. Well, that isn't going to happen, is it? Well, it's a cultural. It, it was described by by Lekeep and the ACO in in, in that uh, article as a um, a cultural mainstay of of France. Why don't they just shift it to till late August, early September, and then they'll be able to have people there? Mm-hmm. Unless yeah. they're not allowed to have people in September, because they. 
tried that last year and it failed completely. They yeah, delayed, the the race, that, because, delayed the race by three months and still yeah. weren't allowed to have any spectators. Yeah, because things picked up at the wrong moment and it was pre-vaccine. Admittedly, the whole of France is still pre-vaccine because they're well, they're, because they're run by someone who decides to be Gallic rather than pragmatic. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean. There are risks involved, but yeah, you, know, you look at Stuart Pringle and Silverson. He's probably he's probably nailed on to have the whole hundred thousand at the Grand Prix. Possibly. Um, looking good at the moment. Look at all the numbers going in the right direction. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, Ian McCarthy says Porsche Super Cup is technically a single driver GT3 championship. Uh, they're not full GT3 cars, though, Ian. They're called GT3, yeah. but everything in Porsche is called a GT3. They'll try getting on the list to buy one. Um, but that's a that's another story <laughs> first world problems uh, you have to give credit where credit is due uh, to the DTM the move to GT3 platform has certainly worked well for them and saved the series it'll be interesting to see how well this is supported by fans and the TV viewing figures great point on saving the series says Ian they've managed to keep top level racing on screens utilising a format we know can already work brilliantly I think sprint racing in GT3 with people who are used to driving touring cars is going to be absolutely mental mm. really really mental right into the remember last remember the DTM aren't really were never really touring cars uh, uh, yes, anyway I, I know but they drove them like they were touring cars yes. Tim that, that's my point the, the, they, they were GP2 cars with body shells Yes, or LMP2 cars with body shells, very similar. Uh, let's move on. I just want to go back to this uh, TC2000 at the Nürburgring right, um, because you mentioned Rubens Barrichello um, as a possible driver. We do know that Julian Santero and Franco Vivian mm. will be in the car along with three-time Super TC2000 champion Matthias Rosé. Oh, excellent. Where to now, Tim? Let's return to the Asian Le Mans series, John. Well, you know, the great thing about the Asian Le Mans series having their championship at the early part of the year means that we can celebrate their champions uh, in the early part of the year as well. And a very worthy winner of the Rookie of the Year epithet is joining us now from his home in uh, Argentina. Franco Colapinto uh, is with us. First of all, welcome to Midweek Motorsport, Franco. Man, what a few, what a few weeks uh, a mental schedule. How did you get your head around that? <laughs> Thank you, man. It's been amazing to be here and doing an, an interview with you. Uh, yeah, just fantastic. I mean, in my first endurance championship to finish third overall, uh, to have done three world position, three podiums, three fastest laps in only four races. Yeah, it's it's been really, really good. Uh, I mean, I'm even impressed with my performance and the performance of the team. And yeah, I mean, I cannot be more thankful with Bullet Sports Management, uh, Jamie Maria, uh, and all G and Algar Pro for this great opportunity that they gave me. How different has it been for you to adjust to, as we would say in England, sharing your toys? When you're a single-seater driver, the first pe- person you want to beat is your your teammate, and all of a sudden you've got teammates in your car and you've got to work together. Has that been difficult for you? Uh, yeah, it's been a, a lot, a lot different. I mean, not not difficult. It's just, I mean, you need to find the balance between everything. Uh, and yeah, this was a bit tricky, but obviously we we were in a, in a really, really nice group together. Uh, we find 
a really nice ambience and, and I think we did a great show. Uh, I mean, Ria and John were really good teammates, so they helped me a lot as well. John had a lot of experience. Uh, so yeah, we were all the time improving and helping each other. So yeah, it was really nice. Obviously a lot different than Formula cars. Uh, the mentality is a lot different in endurance racing. Uh, so you have to find the right, the right balance between traffic, between not losing too much time, not not just not using too, too much risk as well uh, so yeah it's been a lot different uh, i had to do a lot of progression during these two weeks but i think uh, i learned a lot and i improved a lot as well so happy with that why was this the right time for you to come into endurance and sports car racing uh, your career to this point spanish F4, Euro Formula, Open, Formula Renault, Toyota Racing Series on the other side of the world. Why now for endurance racing, Franco? Well, I don't know if it, if it was the right moment or not, really. I mean, uh, it was just a great opportunity that G-Drive and Algarve provided me. Uh, and yeah, we took it. I mean, we had some testing in Portugal last year and the testing went really, really well. For the, for the first time, I just jumped in in a in a 500, 600 horsepower car with a lot of downforce and a lot quicker than what I was used to before. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I did a good job there and then I got this opportunity and I couldn't say no to it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think it was the right, the right time anyway. Uh, obviously, the formula racing is gonna still going. I mean, that's my first priority. Uh, but I think this is also a great opportunity to keep doing it as well during this year if I can. I've got to say, um, I've seldom in, you know, I've been around this sport quite a long time, probably longer than I'd like to admit. For a 17-year-old to come in for your first taste of endurance racing in a prototype car, to do what you do, to, to do what you've done. I've seen people being quick before, but your consistency, the way you dealt with the traffic, very, very impressive. Did you enjoy the challenge? Yeah, I enjoyed it so much. Um, I mean, uh, I enjoyed so much all the support from my country, from Argentina, all the support from the people that uh, love me. And uh, I mean, I have so much people behind that is pushing for me and uh, happy for, for this opportunity that the, that these teams are giving to me. And obviously, yeah, I cannot be more happy with it. It's been a great first experience. I learned so much and obviously, the most important that the results were really good. And I'm happy for that. I think it would be amazing to keep doing this. It was a really, really nice challenge for my first endurance championship in Asia. In Asia. And also with racing trucks I didn't know before, to deal with traffic and saving fuel and kind of stuff that I never did before in my life. I think it was a really good job. And also from the team, no, because uh, I had to learn a lot from them, uh, and they gave me a lot of information in a short period of, period of time. And yeah, I think we we achieve great things together, and we can achieve even more. What's next for you, then, Franco? Uh, back to the single seaters? Uh, yeah, for sure. We are trying to to go back to single seaters. Uh, I mean, nothing nothing is close yet. Uh, obviously, uh, the budget is really high. Uh, yeah. In the in the higher series like F3, F2, Formula Renault is all very high, and yeah, we have some issues with that. But yeah, obviously my my 
the first thing I want is to keep racing in Europe next year. Uh, and yeah, then obviously win in everything I'm, I'm going to do. Keep racing in Europe this year. Because you've all you've yeah. done a yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, this year, okay. No. I know. Yeah, next... It's bizarre, isn't it? You've done your season and you've had your championship and we're not even at the end uh, of yeah. February, beginning of, of March. Very yeah. odd, very odd. Listen, Franco, thank you yeah. very much. Well done. Um, I know you've got ambitions, as you've said, in the single-seater side of things, but you'd be a welcome addition to any sports car and endurance paddock in the future. Wish you all the best, young man. Thank you very much, man. Hope to see you soon. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers, Franco. Uh, what a start to his sports car career. And I think we're going to have to remember Franco Colapinto's name, Tim, in some of your single-seater formulas, uh, formulae as well, because he clearly has a future ahead of him. Super quick in uh, the Asian Le Mans series. Very, very impressive. Very yeah. mature behind the wheel. And a good lad as well, as you heard uh, on that call from Argentina. Let's uh, move to two wheels now, oh. because oh. Uh, <laughs> Nick Damon's still here, and testing at Portimao commences tomorrow without Alex Lowe's. What, for um, World Superbikes? Yes. So what, I didn't know that, what's wrong with him? Uh, he oh. suffered a training Hang injury. Hang on, if they go to Portugal, they can't come home? Maybe they won't. Because they have to do a 10-day quarantine because it's on the red list. Yes. Maybe they won't come back. Well, the season doesn't start for the second week of May. Oh, Portugal's quite a nice place. Yeah, I was going to say, I, mean, I, mean, I would think the I worst mean, place is to given, be locked given, down. Given the, the weather's not particularly is, attractive, yes. It's quite, it's quite, quite appealing right now. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, there are people who went to Dubai who have not come back from Dubai, not because of quarantine, but because actually it's quite nice to be in Dubai at this time of year. True enough. And yep, if, they're, if their next race is in Italy or the Far East, then why come home? It was 33 or 34 Celsius in in Dubai recently, uh, oh. yesterday, and something like 27 or 28 overnight. In fact, actually, I think it might have been hotter than that. It might have been 31 overnight and 35 or 36 during the day. That's now too hot for me. No, no, that's just, that's that's exceptional. It doesn't get too hot till the back end of April, early May. Mm. But which time they'll be racing anyway. Uh, mm. So uh, that means poor Johnny Ray's got to do all the testing for... No, I'm sure he'll be fine. I'm sure he'll man up to it. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a track where... Um, he has a bit of experience. He's got a very good record at Porto now. Yeah. Nine wins. Yeah, he's won. Basically, I think he's won just about every single race. I think it's a, it's a couple he hasn't won recently, but I think one of them was last year when he wasn't trying. He was just easing back for the points. But yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah, they've got some, there's, there's quite a bit of testing that needs to be done. They've got a very long lead time because obviously normally they would have probably have been to believe they, they'd have been to Philip Island already, wouldn't they? We going yeah. this weekend normally. Um, if you remember last year, it's one of the few events that got off before the the initial lockdown. Um, yeah, so they've, they've, they're having a bit of a stranger season. It is very heavily backloaded, the World Superbike season. They've got a lot of races running through September, October, all around the world. So normally they won the first championship to finish, um, not so much this year. Uh, meanwhile, that was uh, Alex Lowe's, but Sam Lowe's has been to Valencia. With MotoGP? Uh, Moto2. Moto2. 
Yes. Yes. Right. It was. It was. It was that a private test with the whole all of them there. Uh, this looks like it was just a VDS racing test because Augusto Fernandez was there as well, mm. and I can't see any times at all. Um, and they're off to a private test in Jerez next week, before obviously the big Moto GP, Moto Two, Moto Three official preseason test at Lozai. Lasalle, yes, Qatar. Lasalle. Qatar. They had Qatar. Qatar race, yes. Again, very nice weather over there for them as well. <laughs> yes, it's suddenly like uh, we just want to go anywhere, don't we? Really, it could be anywhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, I'm actually quite happy not travelling. I may never travel again, to be honest, unless I can drive. I don't mind driving, but I mean, there's nothing stopping you driving now. Do you still get done on the way back? It's not quite that easy, though, is it? That's the problem. It's not, no. Would you like some breaking IMSA factory yes. driver news? Yes. yes. Um, Honda Performance Development have announced their factory drivers in a press release um, recently. Uh, they, of course, run all the Honda and Acura uh, racing programs in North America. Um, the ones that affect uh, us and what we cover are in IMSA, uh, the factory program and of course they can have factory programs in GT3 now with GTD Pro for next year and I've got some more news on that in a moment uh, Ryan Eversley and Mario Farnbacher will be uh, part of their factory driver team I, I presume not all of it because I would have thought they might have had two cars uh, Acura prototype drivers Jane Cameron and Ricky Taylor serving as mentors and coaches for the program the junior factory uh, drivers uh, Matt McMurray who was a 2020 GTD and 2019 LMP2 drivers champion in the WeatherTech series uh, Jacob Abel graduate of HDPD GT3 driver academy and Dakota Dickerson uh, a F4 US champion in 2018 F3 America's champion in 2019 IMSA prototype challenge winner and of course another graduate from Jeremy's team USA I think it was 2015 for Dakota, uh, he's in the HTPD GT3 Driver Academy, uh, was as well. Um, both Abel and Dickerson will be in the SRO GT Americas series with Racers Edge Motorsport. Matt McMurray will drive for Compass Racing uh, in that, as in that championship as well. So at least two factory drivers then for the. Uh, for IMSA and GT3 Pro, uh, which we're hearing that uh, remember, and I, I realise we're out of time, Tim, so I apologise because we don't want we've got a concussion special coming up in a second. Um, remember what Lawrence Von Tour was telling us on IMSA Radio at Daytona. He wants the two classes GTD Pro and GTD Am to be split, not just in name but also somewhere in the specification of the car. It looks like Michelin are going to give the pro cars different tyres. That's what's being talked about at the moment. Uh, I think Lawrence was talking about having no ABS on the GTDs, whether he gets his own way on that. I'm not certain. Uh, tomorrow night, Simcast. And on the grid, I think this is the last week of Crazy filling in for Shebex. But no, um, that was last week. Uh, oh, Shebex is back. back. This week. Is he? Excellent. All good stuff. Stay tuned for the concussion special. And don't forget, before we're back with you uh, 
next week we have Tom K Tuesday, details of which you will hear in a moment. Thanks to all of our guests, Ferdinand von Habsburg, to Franco Colapinto, Declan Brennan, Nick Damon. Our executive producer was Nick Gre- Nick Greer, no, Tim Greer, Tim Greer. Uh, and our responsible adult and expert on Nina Simone contract was uh, <laughs> she, she, Adam, I nearly said there, was Eve Hewitt. I'm sorry, my, my script's gone all to pot at the moment, but there's no time to explain. The Llama is about to learn all about concussion. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.